welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 132, week 132, volume 132, number fucking 132. How you guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Jack of Void of Vision. That will be coming up later in the show. So we're going to start off this week with a bit of tragic and sad news. The hardcore and metal community was rocked by the sad and tragic news this week of the passing of Riley of Power Trip. I was shocked and heartbroken. I was very lucky to have the privilege to chat with Riley on the show. He was episode 57 and during that time, that chat, his energy and passion was undeniable. Very genuine, very honest very down-to-earth guy. His presence within the community will definitely be missed. I know I'll personally hold those two hours I got to spend with him with a lot of fondness. I send out my condolences and thoughts to Riley's family, loved ones, and everyone that was close to him. Rest in power, Riley. So let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down and chat with Jack, a void of vision. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So, if you've not heard of the band before, they formed in 2013-ish, one EP and two albums to their name. Voidavision are a very important part of the growing Australian metal scene. They're an exciting band in many ways. I believe you could technically say they've broken through, but I think the heights that this band can reach are endless. I'm a fan of the band. I'm a fan of what Jack does, so this meant a lot to get him on the show. I loved chatting with Jack. I hope you enjoy listening to it. That chat with Jack. Is coming up now. So <clears throat> everyone gets basically the same question to start with, and it's a bit of a loose one. And it's when you were growing up, not a heavy band, but a band that opened your world to music existing. Do you remember the band for you and how old you were? Oh, for sure. Um, not necessarily how old I was, but um, I definitely all would have kicked off with In Excess, I think. Um, my dad absolutely loved just everything about that band and um, I think just opening my world into any kind of music at all. Like, I honestly can't remember anything that wasn't, like, part of, I guess, overhearing things on the radio and not taking a real interest or, like, I guess, massive, like, look into what was playing. And, um, yeah, I guess it all started there and then I sort of weave my own way into the rock world, I guess. A bit more like radio-friendly rock, like a Green Day and, like, Simple Plan. Um, I don't know. Um, it all started out a bit more radio rock-friendly, I guess, before I, like, dipped into heavy music. But, yeah, I definitely, like, found System of a Down and, like, Linkin Park and all that sort of thing along the way as well. And I guess it kind of... I guess it got more aggressive along the way, the interests that I took in um, music. So, yeah, I guess it all started out in that sort of fashion with those kind of bands. So was In Excess, obviously they were the, like, 
the band that broke music existing, but what was the first band that you became utterly obsessed with that you couldn't do anything but listen to their music, buy T-shirts, whatever it could have been? But was that Green Day? Was that Simple Plan or was it something a bit heavier? Uh, Green Day was definitely one of them. But um, specifically, I remember The Offspring. Um, I'm pretty sure that's, yeah, that's the first album that I bought with my own pocket money. It was either Splinter or Their Greatest Hits. And um, yeah, that's, I guess, where my first obsession started. And yeah, it was just something like about The Offspring's, I guess, the vocals, I think it was, that drove me in. It was just something that I hadn't heard with any of the other rock bands. And yeah, there was just something about what they did and how they executed it so well that just brought me in. And um, yeah, I dipped into their discography, um, dipped into Green Days as well with that. And it was just like, yeah, from there, kind of finding little, I guess, tangents off of Green Day and such things. I have found Simple Plan and I think I went to see Green Day live when they came to Australia for, I'm guessing it was like American Idiot or something. And I think mm. Jet opened and I fell in love with like that band. But yeah, it was just, I guess, the process. Now you find a big band and they'll sort of, I guess, reference small bands along the way and you just fall into the I guess, endless rabbit hole of just finding more and more music. And yeah, I think that's, something I found really special about music in general is that it was just a never ending, like, I guess, era of possibility for things for me to find and listen to. It was just kept going. And no matter how much I listened to one thing, there'd always be something else waiting for me here. Yeah. And it's a very, that's a very organic and natural way of discovering music that I think a lot of listeners can connect with is that, as you said, you find one and, Maybe you see them wearing a certain T-shirt or they're saying thank you to a certain band in their liner notes. But what drew you into the heavier stuff? Because there's quite a switch from what you do now to back then listening to like an Offspring or a Green Day. Yeah, of course. I think I think the live aspect of music is what drew me into the heavier side because I saw like videos of all these artists and stuff, but... um when I started going, obviously I can't see Green Day and The Offspring every weekend as a kid. And um, I started going to local shows and um, I just had friends like, I guess say, hey, this is like, these guys are playing on the weekend. It's going to be sick. Like, come check it out and see if you like it. And I'd be all for it. And I'd head down and I'd watch like bands like House vs. Hurricane and the sort of play at local youth centres near where I grew up. And um I just loved it. I was just obsessed with the way that these people sort of performed and portrayed themselves on a live stage. And it was just such a different world to like what I'd seen. I was watching these people perform and thinking, this is just insane. Like I've heard of these bands, like all my favorite bands on the my like MP3 player or whatever I was listening to them on, but like being able to hear like this live music side of things and seeing the passion that actually gets poured into playing the music was just something that I hadn't seen before. And I was quickly got obsessed with that side of things. And yeah, that's where my love for live music started. And I think at a local level, um, the heavier scene definitely took my, took my liking. I didn't like necessarily find all those bigger heavy bands first, like, um, 
whoever was popping around that time, like Bring Me Horizon or whatever, but bands like House vs Hurricane and sort of the bands that opened for them are the first kind of heavy bands that I really got into myself. And yeah, that was, I feel like it was a really like humble beginning and like a nice entryway into heavy music for myself because it's not necessarily seeing all the bigger artists and like the bigger forms of success first that draws you into it. It's more so the, the raw talent of like local artists and what they're putting out into the scene. And where, where I mean, we're talking outer suburbs of Melbourne. So are we talking like you were going to like uh, Wrangler, we were going to uh, Phoenix Youth Centre because these, obviously this was all ages shows which some people mightn't realise overseas but in Australia it was a big thing. Unfortunately it's kind of died down now but the all ages scene was vital, especially for someone like yourself, to get into the heavier side of music. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking, um. I was an East Side kid, so I grew mm. up um, around like Ringwood area. So I was going to Evie's Youth Centre, Croydon, um, OLP Ringwood, TLC, Bayswater, all those sort of venues. It was mostly like, I think, starting through church groups. Like mm. they allowed people to um, put on shows at their halls and their function rooms. And yeah, you'd get like little 300 cap venues just popping up all around Melbourne, like. Yeah, that was, there was the west side, like with Footscray and everything, and then east over our end. And yeah, there was everything in between as well. It was just no shortage of all ages venues back then. And I think that's what we luckily enough, when we began a band, we stumbled our way into. And without that, there was no way that we could be where we are today. And it's kind of sad uh, seeing like such the shortage of them now because it makes you wonder how bands even begin to get into music scene if there's no way for you to perform or play live it's kind of uh kind of scary yeah i do i mean without jumping too far forward i I agree i think you know it was a big platform for you guys you know i remember seeing you guys on quite a few lineups um even initially when i didn't know who you were you were in an all-ages venue and it was created such a scene at the time that it is worrying for bands now that where do they go to if they're starting out? You know, All Ages was great for a band like yourself to really get a platform to create a bit of a fan base but also create uh, a bit of sense of comfortableness, if that's a proper word, with what you were doing because you guys (laughs) were able to initiate your sound more, you could get comfortable doing a, a performance, really vital. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you were playing to like your friends and people your age and they'd be watching you do your thing. And it's just a nice like community feel about, um, I guess, first starting playing shows. All these people, uh, people that you've grown up going to shows with and it's almost like, hey, I'm giving this a crack. And of course, they're all going to be so supportive of that because that's what like the music community is. It's just one big support network. And um yeah, there was no shortage of that um, down where I grew up in the eastern suburbs. It was awesome just seeing friends of friends, bands, just all packing out these rooms and going nuts to just your favourite local band. And that's part of the reason I wanted to, like, start a band in the first place is because I just wanted that, like, packed room of my friends going nuts to my music and anything else was just kind of a plus side of that. So when you initially, you know, as you mentioned there, you, you decide you want to give this a crack, um, was it always going to be 
as the vocalist? Was that like the goal in mind was to be with the microphone or were you looking at other things within the musical setup in a band? Well, I, my, like, I guess I learned guitar as a kid and I, I'm still playing guitar like as we speak and I never really intended, I guess I kind of fell into that situation. I, I, that's honestly the reason that there was even brought up that I do vocals is because I was going to shows and I was up the front getting mic grabs from all these local bands and um, yeah, that's pretty much how I fell into this whole scenario. I mean, yeah. What about then, you know, if you're falling into the position, how do you start learning? I mean, are you starting to learn your vocal range and vocal abilities or are you kind of winging it and just pushing yourself to the point of pain? I... I remember like I was, I would practice at home even before I was in a band, just like, cause I was just yelling into microphones at um, shows and I was thinking like, oh, I'll give it a shot at home and everything. And I'm pretty sure I, I was winging it for quite a while and to the point where it definitely wasn't comfortable. <laughs> um, I guess as soon as the idea of me starting a band as a vocalist came up, I thought, okay, well now it's time to kind of try and figure out what I'm doing and how I'm doing it so I don't actually hurt myself. I can do this for a foreseeable future. I didn't know I'd be doing it for this long, but um, I've been, yeah, I guess just finding my feet, like even still now, changing things up and like finding new sounds and new ways to like do what I do and make it a lot easier and more durable so I can guess do this for a long time if need be. Has it always been something you're comfortable doing, you know, being in front of people screaming? Because for some people it could be quite nerve-wracking, but for you, were was that something you could easily do in front of people? That's what I mean. Like, I wasn't a super good public speaker at school or anything, and I wasn't really – I guess there's a difference between talking to people and screaming at people, but – yeah, I guess I was super nervous, like the first show we ever played. But as soon as I did that, I it just kind of went away because I thought that I'd be nervous every time I got on stage at these like sort of shows that we were starting playing. But as soon as you get up there, for myself at least, it's like the last thing on my mind. All I'm thinking about is making the right sound come out of my mouth, I guess. And yeah, I was sort of focusing on that side of things and where I was going to move on stage. And I guess that kept me preoccupied. So I never really had the, luckily enough, never really had the difficulty of those pre-show nerves or during show nerves or anything. Well, you also got to remember the lyrics. That's the other thing you got to try and remember. You can't fuck up the lyrics. (laughs) That is also important. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you can, you can fuck up like, I don't know, you can fuck up maybe a bit of guitar and bass here and there, but if people know the songs and are listening to the lyrics, then, yeah, they're going to pop a little sauce pot out. <laughs> what about um, with, you know, you mentioned in there about your vocal style and learning, and that's something that listeners that have, have followed your band will know, is that your vocal delivery has grown over the years. Is that something you've always tried to push yourself to adapt and change and kind of be more than just a one-trick pony? Because you listen, if you go all the way back and, let's say, listen to Reflect Revolt and then you listen to something on Hyper Days, your your voice is just 
you know, the experience and the maturity in it is gone tenfold. Thank you very much. Um, that's a thing. Yeah. Like I, back on those tracks, like you mentioned, reflect revolt, I, I couldn't even really like make my voice shape to what I wanted to, whatever I was doing there was just the main, I guess, sound that was coming out at the time. And I, I, that's back when I was like, was just stuck on this one sort of thinking. And I think, just over time that's honestly just from experience and it's, it's natural progression like it's like in between recording i won't even like say we record one album two years later we go and record another i i don't really purposely intend to come across with a different sound it's just i think a lot of the touring and i guess I, i've always had this idea of what i want in my head but i think it's just my body like Oh, my voice just tricking itself into like morphing into the idea in my head and over time just falling into that so it's been pretty weird my um vocal development journey i guess but yeah i'm definitely in a stage where i'm actually quite happy with what i do now and um yeah it's all just a matter of working off what i've got really and i guess building off this now like i'm free to like add in maybe different types of um vocals like when we're recording like i'm not afraid to experiment with some like singing and uh, whatever else you want to talk about like i guess embracing against the machine style vocals or that sort of style but yeah it's fun just experimenting now that i've got my sort of main main idea down and i know what i want to do from here pretty much yeah it, it I love it, man, and it's also good. It's exciting, obviously, for you guys because it also means musically you can kind of push yourselves more. You're not um, stuck with just, you know, having to sound a certain way, and that that shows over the career. But we'll um, we'll get into all of that. I just want to touch on one other thing when growing up, and kind of it leads into the start of Void of Vision. But when you were at high school. Were you only caring about music as a path or something to do or were you looking at something else? Because um, I know I can know what it's like being at school in Australia and a lot of your teachers are telling you you need your path, has to be set, got to get good grades. If you don't do this, Jack, your life's a failure. Um, And they're telling you this all (laughs) the time and they're hammering it home. So what were you doing in high school? Were you basically saying, no, nah, music's the only thing, or were you looking at something else? Well, funnily enough, thinking about it, that's pretty much how I am. Um, yeah, I all I wanted to do was playing music, but when you go to these like career counsellors and teachers and such, they're just sort of putting you in a more definitive career direction. And back then, all I wanted to do was be involved with music on whatever aspect it was so i i kind of fell into the um sort of audio production side of things and um i was doing these like uh, in victoria you know like vet courses and um vcal courses yeah there were some music ones um, and it was just like um there's just like cert three in audio production or whatever and i went on after school to um to get my diploma and stuff and did like one year of tape but um, yeah, but I kind of, after that one year, like um, I just really didn't, it didn't click for me really. I, I knew I wanted to be involved in music in some aspect, as I said, but I, I guess that wasn't really the thing for me. And I, I fell into it because people were pushing me in a direction. Like I knew I wanted to be involved in music, but not where necessarily. And then band started like pretty much that year. 
And I pretty much focused myself in that. I got a part-time job so I could help sort of fund band project stuff. And yeah, I guess it's just built from there over the past couple of years. And yeah, it's pretty cool that we've gotten to where we've gotten now, but at least I like tried out things in music and there was like some music business stuff involved in that TAFE course that like I took, um, I took out very, and came a lot of handy actually, like in the formative years of Boy Division and it'll keep coming in handy in the aftermath of it. Like I'd love to just remain in the music industry to whatever aspect, um, even after this band's done, because I feel like I've just grown up with it now and it's become a part of my, my being really. Like it's always going to be there for me and I'd love to, sort of just, yeah, keep rolling with it. Well, you know, we've mentioned about the starting and how kind of, in a way, you were pushed into it, but you were kind of motivated into it. And that was around 2013. So in the initial stage, you know, everyone has lofty expectations and goals. um, But I'm not asking about those expectations, but what were the realistic expectations starting out was it all about just gaining some experience and getting onto gigs or was it all about trying to record an ep like what were the initial goals for you and the guys in the early stage i think the initial goals were like okay we started this band like we play shows i now thinking back we we really didn't like give ourselves the I guess we kind of had a feeling. We never thought we'd go above local shows. We we thought like, oh, it would be amazing if we could like sign to a record label. Like back then, like not even knowing what record labels actually do or anything. And yeah, it was just, I guess the main goal was just to play as many shows as we can because we just wanted to take whatever we were making to stage. Because as I was mentioning before, like we saw all our friends playing like local shows and stuff. And we just wanted to be a part of that. And the fact that we got to like instantly and just like pure dumb luck it just yeah it really like fruition from that and I guess once we started playing shows more goals came apart as we were just ticking things off like a bucket list so I guess we were playing shows like at all our favorite local venues and the next step was like okay let's play a show outside of Melbourne and we got to do that really quickly too luckily you know let's go on tour next and all that sort of thing. And there was just, I guess, nice to do that because we weren't getting ahead of ourselves in any aspect. And I, we were luckily enough that things were moving forward really quickly. So we could kick off this bucket list in our head or whatever of things that we wanted to achieve as a band. And we were luckily getting these opportunities and actually getting to do these sort of things. You were also a band in the early years that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I've seen you guys quite a bit and you were a band that in Melbourne at least, um, and it's a compliment that you knew if a lineup was getting put together, Void would pretty much most of the time get on the show and in a good way. I don't mean it in a negative way. Um, is that something... Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a massive compliment because it shows you're doing something that, a is getting rewarded, but B promoters and organizers know that people will turn out and they like what you're doing. And it also C is you guys were a hardworking band. You were willing to take the shows, whether it was playing to 12 people or 200 people. Um, is that also something that you guys were heavily geared towards that 
you just got to play the shows no matter what and put in 110% no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. I think when we started, like, we didn't know that you could say no to a show. So, like, <laughs> when you'd get a show offer, we'd just instantly be like, yes. And it got to stages where we were playing, like, two shows in one day so, or even one night. And I think our second and third show, we, we played in, like, oh, fuck, where was it? We played one show in, like, Musicland Faulkner, uh, at like seven o'clock, and then we drove down to Frankston to play uh, our third show ever at like ten o'clock, and it was just fucking madness. We were just jumping on everything and anything we got offered, and we were luckily, thankfully, getting all those offers. But then, yeah, you know, as soon as we got like closer with bands, like, and then they who were more experienced and such, and we were telling them and what we we're doing, they were kind of like, oh, you can say no, like sometimes. <laughs> the show might not be for you and then we're like oh okay so after about like i guess the 30th show we started declining some but yeah no formative years we were just playing absolutely everything we got thrown at us it was pretty pretty buck wild it was also an interesting time in those first couple of singles that you released um before the ep you guys it seemed like momentum was starting to grow and i remember that and i had to go back and look because i was like before the baseball jerseys, now I'm not talking about them yet. Yeah. But I remember you guys were <laughs> you guys were smart with your imagery. You guys used to have the symbol that was on Reflect Revolt um, on the shirts. Now, what I'm getting at is that you guys were smart with being attentive to, and some people won't like to say this phrase, but image because it is important. You got to look a certain way or. You know what I'm trying to say. You've got to market yourselves. You've got to have something that people remember. So when they see that shirt, they go, oh, yeah, that's Void of Vision, et cetera, et cetera. Was that intentionally a thought process starting out that you kind of want to have something that people remember, whether it's the logo, whether it's the fact that you guys all wear the same shirts on stage? Was it a, a geared approach, basically? Oh, absolutely, man. Like, as you said, like, it is such a – such a touchy thing to bring into music like the whole image aspect but it's honestly so important like especially in a live aspect as you're saying it's something that people latch on to and remember and yeah people will talk shit and like people won't like it or think it's kind of lame but it's regardless like you're going to remember it and it's something that I think us as a band ourselves as a band have like prided ourselves on for quite some time like uh, as you mentioned with the jerseys too and we took like a little break um, uh, on recently with that sort of thing. But now we just, yeah, we kind of want to drive like a look behind the music. And it, at the end of the day, it's all an art form. Like every single thing you put into your live show, whether it be like what you're playing, what you're wearing, what you're doing, it's just all part of the art. And I think it's important that you treat every aspect of that live show with equal importance because at the end of the day, it really does help. Yeah, fuck yeah, man. It's really fucking important. And you, the time and effort and thought process was clearly getting put into it because I think some bands probably or any fans that were getting jealous are just, you know, a bit hating because they didn't come up with the idea, which one of the smartest ones was the jerseys. Like, that was quite a thought. Where did it come from? Because I think it's, I think it was golden. It came from... I think at the time, 
just a bunch of sort of American metalcore metal bands, <laughs> metalcore, Jesus. Um, <laughs> they were wearing um, just sort of, yeah, not necessarily, uniform sounds a bit like, I guess, cashy, but um, yeah, we, we just saw like bands wearing that kind of samey, samey, like uniform business, like whether it be matching hoodies or stuff. And I don't know. We we thought like we were, um, personally. I'm a big fan of like the Warriors, and got the idea from there kind of. But um, yeah, I noticed no one was really doing it, and I saw like um, I think I just saw like a post that just like a clothing website. They posted just a picture of this plain black jersey with four letters on it, and I'm like, oh, that would look so sick if it just had void on it. And yeah, we just rolled from there. It was supposed to be like. We we started wearing them like halfway through this tour because I think they got shipped out from the states and it was really late and we were already on tour while we got them. But yeah, it paid off. I remember the first show we played with them was like Blacktown and Sonic Hall, and um, I used to always type in like um, Void of Vision on Twitter or whatever and just search up like the related post and all the posts were like, who is this band in the jerseys, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, this band's great, but like, I hate the jerseys or whatever. And like, it was just instantly getting talked about. And I think, yeah, it really paid off in those beginning years. And as much as like, we're not as keen on them now, definitely at the time, we thought it was amazing. We thought it was so cool to like, just have this uniform look and an identity to our band. And that's kind of what people knew us as back then. Uh, aside from the music which was kind of cool i think you know i think it's interesting you touched on there that people whether they loved it or hated it they were talking about it and as they say there's no such thing as bad publicity you guys had people knowing the name (laughs) of the band um and that leads me into a question that it you're a band that for some reason i don't understand but you guys seem to polarize people um, whether that's on the imagery or the music, whatever it is, um, is that something that is being difficult for you to deal with, or have you naturally been able to just, you know, avoid the keyboard warriors? Um, it's always been like, I mean, like we can say that we don't look at YouTube comments and all that sort of thing, but at the end of the day, you do, and. Mm. It's it's pretty average thing, but like I think over time we've learned um, to deal with it. Like I think the first, I guess when we, I think it comes at moments like that when you start wearing like a bunch of jerseys or when we like took a bit of a genre change on our first record, um, and you get all those kind of comments. It's kind of it's kind of expected, but at the same time, it it does it does cut you like a little bit deep because you've worked so hard on something just to get that sort of negative feedback but um yeah i i mean at the end of the day we're making this music for ourselves and the people who give a fuck about it so Mm. as long as like people i guess if it was all negative it'd be a different story but luckily like we've always had support um from one side of whatever it is so it's just really nice to like remind yourself of that sort of side of things that there are people that appreciate what you do. And if you are appreciating it yourself and learning and growing from it, then that's all that really matters. And yeah, I think ever since all that sort of stuff popped out, I, I rarely read like much of the YouTube comments anymore because I generally know what to expect, like whether it be good or bad. And it's, yeah, it's nice kind of taking a break from looking at all that stuff because it's, 
made me like realize what's most important about our music again and what I guess what we feel about it and what we think about it and yeah that's the main reason we're going the way we're going at the moment I think yeah man it's uh, yeah it's smart that you're staying away from it because it's a fucking cesspool that fucking YouTube not even YouTube just any of that social media the whole internet yeah yeah (laughs) and it's crazy because you know I can't get over it um that people go out of their way to put a bad comment. You know, if you don't like it, just leave it alone. Like you, you've spent time and energy to put something negative on something, which I, I don't know. Scratch my head. I don't know why people waste their time. Yeah. Um, it's weird. That's the thing, man. Like it's, they got all that effort to just pop it in. And yeah, so it's always kind of bewildered me, but I guess I've come, come to terms with it now. And it's like, yeah. Uh, they they do what they want to do and we'll do what we want to do. <laughs> yeah, and look, I mean, you know, look at we're going to start getting into some of these releases and look what you guys done. So you know, always tip your cap to what you've done and what you've achieved so far and what's ahead. Um, and you know, fuck the haters. I think that's the the, the phrase of the, the that section. <laughs> um, so a big absolutely. So one of the big steps before signing to Unified, which I want to come to, which was a I think a monumental moment for you guys was the debut EP, uh, Broken Bones, in 2014. That that EP seemed to just go off like wildfire. There was something going on for you guys at that at that time that was kind of like intangible. It was people were loving it in a live setting. Uh, the EP people were raving about. It was kind of popping up everywhere. Critics were loving it. Um, this period felt like a big momentum turn for you guys, and did it feel like that internally in the camp? Yeah, absolutely, man. Like looking back at it now, it's pretty nuts the things that that EP did for us. Like, I at the time we were yeah, like we were just like incredible, like I don't know feedback and everything, and we we just didn't expect it back then but looking back now even more it's like wow like i don't know how it got that far or like it did what it did but yeah we're very glad that it did it's a very important um part of our history because we released just like a mediocre ep and i didn't, I didn't even know where it would be by now but luckily we released that and i we, we did work pretty hard on it i think like we were recording it for quite some time and like we I think we sent it yeah, we sent it overseas even to get mixed and mastered. That was a crazy first experience, but never really like that was our first kind of international flavour of attention. Um coming to an overseas producer who produced like some of our favourite records. And um yeah, that was another bucket list thing that we ticked off quite early and it was just yeah, I, I don't know, like it got us like some pretty hectic tours and our first wait, was that our first tours? I think we did a bit of touring before that EP, but yeah, our first like bigger tours with like Hand of Mercy and Hellions and that sort of band. But yeah, it was pretty crazy what we did after that EP now I think about it. You were also at this stage, I think you were starting to get a name for being a band that brought a lot of energy and intensity and hecticness to a live setting and especially yourself as well, the whole, or everyone included. But um, was that always something that was easy to do? And cause it's still the same today, but you know, do you ever have a moment before you go out that 
you're not really feeling it, feeling a bit, you know, under the weather today. But then you go out and you still give 400%. You're still going fucking ballistics on, on stage. Or is it just easy for you to, as soon as you step out there, switch it on? I think, yeah, I think, yeah, like early on, I made it a very, like, important habit to just go 110% out there and really do, like, what we came to do and sort of turn some heads and that sort of thing. And I mean, stepping it up physically and, like, vocally in every aspect. And the other guys followed suit afterwards, of course, once we had the EP out. And to the point where years down the track now, because I made that such a habit, in our early years when I do have like when we're in Europe and it's like show number 20 and I've got a cold or whatever and I'm just hating my life and just thinking god the last thing I want to do right now is just go out there and like smash out a set but because I've sort of ingrained that in my mind it's it's like muscle memory now almost and (laughs) luckily my vocal style doesn't really like I, I don't get too phased when I have a cold or like a something else like whatever sickness or whatever head cold or so and I just managed to push through it all and still have that ingrained in the back of my mind and I don't even notice that I'm still going off and doing what I'm doing but I guess that's part of the adrenaline too it sort of kicks you into gear and you don't even think about it but you're really just doing what you've always been doing it's it's pretty awesome and I'm pretty happy that I actually kind of forced myself to keep doing that in our young years because it's really paid off now yeah, I remember I remember one show in particular, I think you were playing with Hand of Mercy, I think it was at the Evelyn, and I had a mate with me who knew Hand of Mercy, didn't know you guys, and I think you were hanging off the roof of some sort, I think, at the time. Um, I do remember. Yeah, you, I remember. Yeah, you were upside down, like you were, you know, your head's hanging down backwards, over, and he was just like, what's this band again? I was like, oh, that's Void Division. He's like... Yeah, cool. All right. I mean, he's, he, he was, I don't even know if he liked the music, but the moment he saw you do that, he went, yeah, cool. Going to check this out. Yep. Sweet. Yep. Grab a CD. Um, and that shows, man, like that's the, it wins people over sometimes. Maybe they don't know the music. Maybe they're not sure. And then they see that stuff and they go, fuck, that guy's insane. I'm into it. <laughs> that's it, man. Like we were talking about with image, like how you present yourself and what you do to stick in people's heads is so important. And, like I know our music isn't necessarily like groundbreaking or genre defying or anything. So I think what we really pride ourselves is still on is the live show and like going that extra mile. Like every time we played the Evelyn or whatever, I'd make I'd like no matter how shit I was feeling, as I was saying, I'd make my habit to climb up onto that fucking roof and like hang upside down and do a certain section of the song to the point where people knew it was coming. And now like we do like unify every couple of years and I've made it a habit to sort of climb up the side of the scaffolding on that big fucking stage <laughs> every time we play. And I guess it's sort of a thing that people expect now. And I don't know, it's something that sticks in people's heads as I was saying and in the long run, I guess it pays off. Like obviously they're like playing those Evelyn shows. I didn't know that someone in the crowd, like your mate who turned to you and said, who's this band? Like the fact that we had the ability to do that just from, putting a little bit extra into the into the game is just something really special, I think. It's fucking cool. I'm, actually, that's made me really happy that it actually paid off one time. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least it worked one out of 20. That's good. That's a win. That's a yeah. win. 
that's all that matters. That's a win. <laughs> Small victories. Now, we said earlier, you know, you linked up after this EP or a little bit after this yeah. EP with um, Unify. And the question is, when that came up, did you approach Unify or did Unify approach you? Because it's quite a thing to get a record label, but in an Australian sense, it's kind of the label, really, in the style of music that you guys play. So must have felt quite like, oh, shit, you know, Unify, us, Unify, oof, all right, shit. <laughs> Absolutely. Back then, like, yeah, as you said, it was the label. That was the thing. That was the goal, pretty much. Like, if you were to sign to an Australian label, that would be it. And obviously, we were still in that Broken Bones EP universe when um, we were talking to Unified. I think, I believe that it was uh, Ocean Grove to a, that we jumped on, and um, they had showed interest in Ocean Grove as well, and they came to the show to see them, but we... Um, we were made support on the package, so they obviously saw us there, and I think maybe they came and talked to us there. I I can't exactly remember, but yeah, they did approach us um, off recommendation of the live show, and that's when we started going in for meetings and sort of having little phone chats and stuff with them. But yeah, um, like that was the fucking. We were just so stoked when all those offers came through because like. There was no international label interest of any sort. Like we we pitched it, like we shopped around, sure, but we never really had any interest from that side of things. But when we actually got some from Unified, we were like, oh shit! Like James would wear fucking Unified merch to our first ever band practice, and I remember I specifically remember him saying like when we were starting it, it's like that's like his dream, like come true. We were designed to like UNFD, like the whole thing bands like North Lane and The Bride and stuff signed back in the day. That was kind of all our favourite Australian bands getting picked up by this one label. It was just like a, a dream come true for us. Was there any, um, you know, pressure or nerves or expectation then to deliver, like not only uh, musically but also with everything you were doing? Because signing to a label no matter who it is, is a big step up um, for any band. So was there any pressure or nerves for you guys going forward? Absolutely. That's where we, that's where we like, that was our first kind of, well, I guess what we see it as our first big mistake, like all this pressure on us, we thought um, making this first record, like, oh God, we have to shift in sound. We have to like make this more mature sounding record and all this stuff. And it kind of like, I guess the pressure that I realize now distracted us from what we were actually good at doing and like writing, I guess what you'd call our roots, like our broken bone style and everything. And we, we like went outside our comfort zone big time and we um, made like the yeah, this album, children of Chrome. It was something that like, I guess we, wanted to experiment a bit on but i think we went a bit too lucky from our from our roots as i was saying and like all these other bands around us this new metal sound was sort of creeping back into trends and yeah i think we just took it a bit of a much further step than we needed to take at that point of time and we thought oh shit we really need to impress this label and whatsoever but that's what it is it's just a bunch of kids like sort of guessing what they need to do and what's expected of them. But all we really needed to do was keep doing the solid stuff that we were good at. And 
back it up with this solid live show that we're good with. And yeah, I think we just overlooked it initially. And because of that pressure, we did fumble a little bit. And it took us a bit to find our feet back up. And I think we did very well to sort of reflect upon that and learn from our mistakes and get to where we are now. Because as much as like, yeah, I can shit on about how much I hate like the first record and everything. It's just like a massive learning curve in our small time as a band. And yeah, we're, we're stoked that it did happen because we wouldn't be where we are today if we didn't go through that hard learning curve. Yeah, the learning curves, you know, as you know, and everyone listening knows, it's important in life, it's important as a musician. And, you know, you got it out of the system um, in a good way or a bad way. You know, there are still some good songs on that fucking album. There are still some bangers on that album. But obviously just experimenting went to 11 and you should have stayed at 7 is maybe what it was. That that's yeah, that's a pretty good way to talk about it. Actually, I think it's just a bit over ambitious, and with all the touring and just we just came up so quick that we thought it was just a natural thing to like completely shift your sound like two years into being a band, and we yeah, definitely like rocked up and thought we knew everything. Yeah, we didn't, but um, yeah, as you said, like it it comes at a stage in a band's career like a bit of a learning curve and we're lucky that ours was in the beginning years I guess so not not as many people would have heard that record as people did our last record and such so it is good that we got that out of the way nice and really not necessarily being in a big eye of attention such. yeah I mean imagine imagine doing that you know as your seventh album that'd be you know quite scary because as you said yeah. you'd, you'd, you'd scare off a lot of people but you've got it out of the system um, and you can see that it is out of the system because Disturbia was next, the EP. First question about that. Yeah. Um, why an EP after having just released an album? Was it a case of I just want to clean myself of what I've just done and I want to get an EP out that's just bangers from start to finish? Well, it did. yeah, it ended up being like that. The, the initial um, idea was to like – we. We just wanted to make it so clear that we <laughs> that we fucked up, I guess. We just wanted to make it so clear that we were we were heading back to our roots and we were going to steer ourselves more in that old Vov direction. So we wanted to like I think I've pitched the Unified like that we've re released a re recorded Broken Bones through the label and put like a new single on top of it or whatever, a bonus track. But um they were just like, well, yeah, you could do that or you could just write a whole new EP and <laughs> release that of better music. And we're like, yeah, fair play. And then <laughs> that's where that came from. And yeah, I agree. It did feel like a bit of a clean slate. Like we we um, ditched the jerseys right before, um, we ditched the chrome jerseys right before that EP and stopped the jerseys entirely. So it was kind of like signifying that in, a, I guess, a, in our image that we were sort of, over that side of things and yeah we just picked back up where we left off really just before that album came out and yeah it's where i wish we started our unified journey but um yeah i don't know they were really like good with the whole process to be honest like they knew we were still learning and everything and they were just kind of holding our hand into disturb you which was really good way to work it and um yeah i'm really appreciative that they um worked really closely with us on that because it turned out really really cool and I think it helped us get back on our feet 
because we definitely did fall over and fucking roll around in the mud for a bit. But yeah, we were definitely standing tall after that. Well, I think, you know, I think to say it sounds pissed off is a bit weird to say when you listen to any heavy music, all heavy music in some way sounds pissed off. So it's a weird fucking phrase, but it does. It sounds <laughs> sounds pissed off. It sounds like you were so annoyed with what you've done that you're like, that's it. I'm fucking, I'm unleashing um, all this anger. Um did it feel also gratifying because that EP gained a lot of attention where it felt like Chrome kind of got kind of ignored by a lot of people? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that anger came from, I with children of Chrome, another big thing that I experimented on is um, lyrical content. And I wrote from a, a um, introspective point of view instead of introspective. And I just basically hadn't, written songs like from my point of view of myself for like two years so I just had all this pent-up anger like ready to fucking go again just like I did on Broken Bones really like Broken Bones that EP was probably like I guess all my teen angst sort of built up into one record and um, Disturbia was probably like the same deal like those few years of just frustration and anger that I hadn't really reflected on Children of Chrome coming out into that EP and so I guess that's where our strengths or my strengths in lyric writing right, um, lie so I can guess that's contributed to the success of the EP and the, the anger but yeah it was like I don't know it was like really cool to get back on the saddle like that because it was nice having a break from thinking about that sort of thing and it really shows how I guess how much development actually comes through in your life in like two years like I'd gone through like breakups I'd gone through like lifestyle changes and bad habit changes and everything and it's all just sort of caught up on me because I haven't had a chance to reflect upon myself so that's probably why I came out a bit darker. Yeah, but I like that. I like that it's a bit more darker and personal. Um, it makes listeners connect. Well, a listener like myself connect more. Um, do you find writing from a very personal place, is that easy for you to do or do you struggle with that? Like how are you with putting yourself on paper for people to, you know, basically listen and read about? I think I got like after that EP, I was like, okay, this is my strength and I'm going to roll with this because this is what I know and what I'm good at. And I guess there was still, there was still more to like, I'd turned on the tap in my mind, but there was still more to come out, which is where Hyperdate sort of came from. And um, I guess it is easy for me now to write about that sort of stuff. I definitely tie it all in with a lot of the, metaphorical little um little tricks and like bits and bobs throughout the lyric writing but i guess the essence of the the self-angst and the just the pure hatred is still there it's whether it be coded with like yeah similes or metaphors or whatever it's still amongst the music and it's still what i've stuck to for the last two releases and yeah it's um it's become a very easy thing for me now i think it's it's my favorite way of expressing myself. And yeah, it's, you look at like even, I don't know, like writers like Charles Bukowski and uh, negative, uh, uh, I guess, artists 
he was and how good he ended up being because all he would do is just pour out all those negative emotions over and over and over again and it turned into a thing of beauty really because he just got so good at talking so negatively about himself and I guess that's kind of what's happening over here obviously not comparing myself to Pajaski but yeah. <laughs> well, hey, you, you can compare yourself to whoever you like. It, it's, I'm not going to tell you off. I'm not going to tell you off. Um, and I think also during this time with Disturbia was also when I think you can safely say that Void went from being a constant support band to started switching to being a band that could really headline shows on their own or do weekenders on their own, whatever it could be, tours. Um, it was that hard for you to switch from being you know at the start of a bill you're coming out and you're basically setting the bar you're blowing everyone away and you're doing it early in the set which really is something in itself but when you're headlining you're sitting there you're watching other bands perform and then you have to go out and try and top it is did you have to switch gears from being a support band to now a recognized headliner i think um, I think no, no, not so much on the switching gears because what we put into our, we put the same energy in and I think the head with headlining just came, okay, we've got, we've got our stage presence down pat, but now we can start adding extras. We can start like improving the light show and we can fuck around with like, I don't know, like I think our first headline off that disturbance is where we did like a bunch of confetti and stuff and we just fucked around with balloons and everything and we just made it like it was almost like a celebration of sorts that first headliner of just earlier and that's when i think we realized because we did like a headliner of chrome but it didn't really do like that well at all i think like maybe the melbourne 18 plus went well but the rest of the country flopped pretty hard but um yeah, off that Serbia tour like we were packing out like we were packed out like howler and lands down in Sydney and all this sort of stuff and it was like okay shit we can fucking actually like this is what being in a band is this is what we love doing now and like bring the show on for us and like people come to see us that's a fucking insane feeling because obviously yeah we were just opening all these huge bills and we we're like sure yeah there's fuckloads of people here but like how many people are actually here to see us and I think the fact that we rock up to these rooms and we're headlining and that's the reason people are there it's a pretty crazy feeling man and yeah i think we were very fortunate we didn't have to switch the gears too much to the point where we could really just take it all in and see that that was literally what we had been progressing through our entire career just that there and it was just so sick to see and you also start getting across the the ocean you, you're getting over you know doing tours with bands like Miss May I through Europe and things like this. I mean, that's also got to be a pinch me moment. Yeah, dude, totally. Like, it's pretty nuts that we got to do um, a Europe run off that first album too. Like, mm. it was just so, so crazy because I, I think we even, like, announced, we got the Europe offer before people had even caught wind of the album, like, we got the European offer that first one with Chelsea Grin mm. off the Broken Bones EP, which was so fucking crazy. And yeah, the first time over there was just, it's just like so crazy, man. Just eye-opening experience, like culturally and musically in every bloody aspect. Like it's just a 
whole nother world that we just had no idea even existed and we just fell in love with it and yeah it makes us want like it was i guess all we've always thought is touring is just this huge slog of like 20 to 30 shows in a row but we were growing up in australia so you'd have five cities to go to like realistically and maybe a few regionals in between over a bunch of weekends so it never really had that whole big tour feel but going to europe for that first time just banging out fucking 30 shows just one two three four like all in a row no days off it was just an insane feeling and we're like okay so this is touring (laughs) and then basically from there we brought that energy back to australia i guess and i guess put that into our live shows what we learned over there etc it was just like yeah it's such an awesome experience and i think you can tell when um, bands start going over there, like when they start playing back here, it's just a completely different ball game. Like I think uh, off the top of my head, I know the first time Justice for the Damned went overseas and came back, like they, they're just had completely changed. Like they were just a whole new band. And I think same goes for like Ocean Grove probably too. I just remember specific, seeing specific bands going over for the first time and coming back. And it was just so sick to see and I'm like yep I know exactly what you've been through like I know exactly where your head's at and what you're doing on stage right now and it's fucking awesome to see that I think it's such a big learning curve for bands to do that for a first time and getting to do that at the age that we were was really sick and all our peers were sort of doing it at the same time so it was awesome bonding over that sort of experience with them. It is. It's really important, like you said, and you do notice bands like yourself and Justice. As soon as you mentioned other bands, Justice were one that popped in my head. And it is important, but something also that I don't think people from Europe and America understand that listen to uh, the show, because we have a lot of listeners that aren't from Australia, is it is really hard for a band from Australia to get overseas. Um it takes quite a bit of sacrifice to do it. Um, and was it always something that no matter what you were going to do um, and no matter what you're going to do again? Yeah, that's the thing. Like that first offer came through and we were all just like, okay, fucking no brainer. Of course we're going to go. And we accepted the offer. And then we looked at the budget <laughs> and it was kind of like, okay, shit we're going to lose a lot of money on this. But I guess that's a given for a band going over to the first time in Europe. But um, yeah, I think that's what's so cool about it because it's almost like starting again in a country like we're over here now headlining shows in Australia and we're doing well for ourselves. But um, in Europe, it's just like breaking the market all over again. And we're, we're lucky enough now that we can go over there and not lose money and we're breaking even because we're doing much better in merch. We're getting better show offers and stuff. But yeah, that's the whole thing. Like, it's just making what we've done here work over in other worlds and other countries, sort of, sorry, not other worlds, but other countries like um, Europe and the US and such. And I think we're, we're very happy the way we to- the way we took it and sort of focused on Europe first as opposed to doing like Europe and America and dropping all this cash on getting overseas but not really seeing much return. And, not making it a viable thing to keep going over there. Like we could have done Europe and US in the same year, but we'd be just so out of pocket, like for an Australian band, like a young up and coming one to almost make it not really worth going over in the first place. It could just be done by the time we got back financially. Mm. That but yeah. I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for you guys that you've done it a couple of times and, you know, 
with the way things is, you know, hopefully you get out there again soon. Because um, I know that you're the kind of band that people will love with what you do live. You get it over there. Fuck, that'd be, they'd be idiots not to get into it if they see it in Germany or fucking France or some shit. Um, I know they'll love it. Um, <laughs> now. Thank you, man. I think that's, yeah. Now, uh, we're almost hit our time limit, but I've got to talk about Hyper Days. I have to talk about Hyper Days before we wrap <laughs> things up. And for me, banger. This feels like, it feels like gritty sound that you wanted on Chrome and I mean that in the kind of experimentation, but it still sounds like void of old. It feels like you guys really found the sweet spot with that album, with the recording and the writing, the production, everything about it. Um, looking back, I know it's not that old of an album, but how do you feel looking back on Hyper Days? First of all, thank you very much. Um, and yeah, it's definitely still and probably for a long time going to be our favorite piece of work because as you said like it's where we found the sweet spot like we experimented on stuff with um disturbia and singles and stuff but um yeah on hyper days it was just when we found the perfect balance of what we wanted to experiment with and what and it didn't get in the way of the experience kind of thing we just sort of found the perfect amount of i guess sugar spice and everything nice to put on top of that old Bob sound and it definitely translated well to people and yeah it's definitely been a while coming of us finding the right influence to I guess put into our music and not feel as if we're shoehorning it in I feel like we're at a comfortable level now where this progression is sort of okay this makes sense like they've definitely like found what they're doing now and they've crafted their sound and I guess, yeah, that's where we're at now, kind of figuring out where to go from here. It's been, like, really fun to, like, get to where we are, to be honest. And, yeah, that that album's going to be up there for us for a long time. It's somewhere I'm proud of work today, for sure. Now, how was it How was it received for you guys? Was it Because it seemed, from an outside perspective, it looked like it was really well-loved. Like, Disturbia did one thing, everyone was, like, frothing, and it seems like it was the same with Hyper Days. Yeah, like, I feel like it was just a, a blown-up version of Disturbia, really. Like, it was Disturbia with 10 tracks, essentially. Um, we um, pretty much, yeah, I I didn't really see any negative feedback or such. It was just all, it was pretty crazy, to be honest, because coming from, like, the reception for the first record to the reception to this, it was just fucking wild. I remember we went, um, we played, like, a festival up in Brisbane the day after its release, and we went up on the day of release to Brisbane just to celebrate and like hang out and all things and just seeing the reception, like we just woke up like surprisingly early and just saw all the kind words rolling in and all these friends that we hadn't really been in touch with for years sort of congratulating us on it. And it was really like, it was a really flattering moment for us, like just to, I guess, have all that support again, because it's kind of like, doubling back now to I guess how we started the band was just we wanted to like play to our friends and like have those awesome little local shows and the support network there and 
it's grown into just we're playing these shows and we've gained like an even bigger support network and I guess all everything that happens in the middle it's just sort of passes you by so quickly but the fact that when you can look back and see how much you've actually grown that network and grown those live shows it's really what we've set out to do just times fucking a thousand and it's so special to look back on when we talk about it on podcasts like this and such when we just reflect over the whole period of the band it's fucking crazy stuff so yeah thank you for actually like reminding me of all this stuff so I don't fall too far on the last (laughs) (laughs) I love that I I, I love everything man Uh, and that that hyper days oof um yeah like (laughs) something about it um I love it because, yeah, I love how gritty it sounds, I love how pissed off it is. I love that new tinge, the industrial electronic feel. Yeah, sweet spot was the phrase for me, perfectly. Um, Thank you so much, dude. <laughs> now, the last question I've got before we start to wrap things up is kind of a link into Hyper Days with what's going on now. You know, you can't, unfortunately, you as a touring band that you guys are, you're a, a force, you like to get out, you like to tour. And you can't do that, understandably, because what's going on. So where are you guys with yeah. how you're using your time? Are you uh, writing stuff, demoing stuff, or are you just simply sitting there itching, twiddling your thumbs, saying, give me a chance, let me get out there again? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. We, we were doing that for a hot minute because each of us was still kind of working. Um, we were all... All of our work was still going straight ahead, so we never really had much of a break through this whole COVID experience. But um, yeah, this whole time we've been writing um, new material because, uh, just as everyone is, I'm sure. And like, if there's ever a time to really do it, it's now to experiment or whatever you want to do, or just keep like shitting out the tracks that you're good at. We've been yeah managing to do a whole bunch of that, and it's it's sad because like obviously we love Hyper Days and such. And um, it would feel weird to sort of end the record cycle so prematurely, but um, we've still got a little bit more to come of Hyper Days. We'll be releasing like a bit of a deluxe edition with some surprises on there um, before the end of the year. Mm. So we're stoked to be able to do that. We've just been getting a bit busy creatively with that. And yeah, just on top of that, we've just been kept writing and I guess we're just waiting for that all clear. Hey, as everyone is, it's, very hard to call when it'll be like we get tour offers at the moment but we don't even know how like concrete they are because yeah no it's it's any it's good as anyone's guess as to when things are going to start up again and i guess we're just hoping it's sooner than later and everyone can be good and i guess like wear a mask (laughs) yeah wear a mask and wear some fucking gloves yeah it's it's a weird time (laughs) that's it it's a weird time, dude. Um, but look, good to hear that there's still some more things coming um, to do with Hyper Days. That's good. And um, yeah, you know, it's also good to hear that you know, yeah, the world is a bit crazy, but there is still things in gear. Um, it's important because um, you got to keep yourself motivated. Yeah. Got to keep yourself busy. Um, now, Jack, we're going to wrap things up with a segment that everyone gets at the end of our chat. It is called Pick Your Poison. Okay. All righty. Kind of a quick fire round. 
I give you two choices. Yep. You pick your favourite of the two. Now, some are going to be easy. Some are going to be hard. You don't need to justify your answer. <laughs> but if you're worried yep. that someone's listening to this and says, why the fuck did Jack pick that? You can justify your answer. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. I like it. Okay, now we're going to start out with some food kind of based ones. Uh, you're going to go a pizza or okay. a burger? Pizza. Okay. Chicken or beef? Uh, neither. Vegetarian? Uh, vegan, yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, we can work. We can work with this. That's all good. Chinese takeaway. Yeah, cool. Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Uh, Chinese. Okay. Soft taco or hard taco? Um, hard taco. Okay. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Once again, neither because I'm allergic to nuts. (laughs) Ooh, okay. That's the first we've had. I don't think we've had anyone allergic to nuts. Wow, okay. Cool. Um, I like it. Individual. (laughs) Individual. Got to keep it. Got to keep it unique. Um, Beer or whiskey? (laughs) Uh, Beer. Okay. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Uh, Cook at home or dine out at a restaurant? Uh, Cook at home, definitely. I've found a love for it in Arthur. So, yeah, I've been sticking to that. A new movie comes out. Are you going to watch it at the cinema or on the couch? Uh, Cinema, hands down. Okay. You're going to spend a day at the beach or spend a day at the snow? Day at the beach. I, oh, God, I don't even think I've really had a proper day at the snow. <laughs> yeah, well, it is quite funny. Australians, we, we do have some places like Mount Buller and stuff, but we haven't got that really good snow. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. There's nothing like that European snow or anything. It's just a different ball game to go over to Buller or such. Okay, next one. Cat or dog? Cat. Okay, PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, PlayStation. Okay. Now, Terminator or Predator? Oof. Uh, Terminator. Yeah, Terminator. You didn't sound too sure on your answer there. I I love both, so it was a very tough pick, but I think I've had more... I think I grew up with Terminator more so than Predator. Okay. Um, so I'm definitely more on... More inclined to head in that direction. Uh, Rambo or Rocky? Oh, um, Rocky, I think. Okay. Yeah, Rocky. Yeah, let's go Rocky. <laughs> uh, Batman or Superman? Batman, 100%. Okay. Freddy or Jason? Freddy, I think. Yeah, Freddy. He's cool. Uh, are you a Star Wars or a Star Trek? Uh, Star Wars, 100%. Okay, what about South Park or Simpsons? Uh, I'm going to say Simpsons. You know, I didn't really watch South Park as a kid, but I love it now, but I've got to pay respects to the, to the original influence the Simpsons is going to be. Now, last movie one before we get into music is Anchorman or Step Brothers. 
stepbrothers, I reckon, yeah. Stepbrothers. Okay, now, music ones. We're going to start off with, uh, this one might be easy for you, actually. Offspring or Green Day? Okay. Oh, oh, yeah, Offspring, Offspring. Okay. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth? Uh, Metallica. Uh, Limp Biscuit or Corn? Oh, uh, <laughs> that is very tough. Um, I'm going to say corn because I have a corn T-shirt on right now. Hey, um, <laughs> Slayer or Pantera? Slayer. Okay. Marilyn Manson or Rob Zombie? Uh, Manson, 100%. Okay, now the last couple... If you're playing a show, do you want stage dives going on or mic grabs going on? Um, in the nature of hygiene and COVID, I'd say stage dives. Okay. Um, you're gonna go. You're gonna go to a show. Are you gonna watch from the pit or are you gonna watch from the sound desk? Um, I'm gonna watch from this sound desk I've, I've gradually found myself reclining to the back of the room as the years have gone on I don't know why it is but yeah I, I definitely prefer the back I can take more of it in I like watching the pit too like seeing the crowd go off so yeah from the back okay now you need one to go with the other but imagine you could only do yep. one would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life Two or 100%. Okay. Last one, and this is a triple one. This is the only triple one being the last one. I'm going to give you your all-time favourite album. And the way I give it to you is the way you have to play it. Do you want it on your CD? Okay. Do you want it on vinyl or do you want it on your phone? I want it on vinyl because my vinyl collection is starting to really take shape now so i want to want to contribute to that how many vinyl you got now i think we're getting close to 100 actually me and my partner we've gotten quite a few this year i think because she works at you know she works at jb hi-fi so she tries to bring back one a week of just stuff we're trying to collect so it's been going good hey that's nice that's a sexy collection (laughs) starting to evolve um yeah dude Thank you for this. That's the first thing I've got to say. Thank you. Thank you, man. Really appreciate this, man. I had a lot of fun. Um, everything, you know, I could have gone on for ages, but I didn't want to keep holding you, so I'll, I'll, I'll definitely hit you up for a part two down the track. But uh, thank you for the time. Thank you for the energy. <laughs> uh, thank you for the effort. Um, and thank you for your creative outlet that, that I enjoy. Thank you, man. No, it was it was really good to just um yeah take a stroll down memory lane, especially now when we're all cooped up inside. It's good um reflecting on all the positives and just yeah just the growth and everything because you do get caught up in it all and you forget to like look at all the special stuff. So yeah, thank you for thank you for reminding me of all that and yeah it's been a joy. It's been a joy being doing this. But thank you, I really appreciate this. Um, not only for the show but also as a fan. Um, and it hit, hit all the marks I was hoping for. 
Um, so thank you. Um, you're a great guest. Awesome. Thank you. You're a brilliant host. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care, brother. I'll speak to you soon. All right. You too. Stay safe. I'll see you soon. All right. Later. Oh, I'm the
So that was my chat with Jack of Void of Vision. At the end there, you heard the band's track Kill All My Friends, which is a standalone single that was released in 2018. The second track you heard was If Only, which is from their most recent album, Hyper Days. And the last track you heard is called Ghost in the Machine, which is from their EP, Disturbia. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation, or if you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Get online. Jump in. Dive in to that discography. If you're into physical copies, get online. Get yourself a CD. Get yourself a vinyl. Or if you're into merch, get online. Grab yourself a hoodie, a hat, some moss shorts. Help yourself out there as well. When bands can't tour, when bands can't do things at the moment, supporting them by streaming, downloading and purchasing things are vital to their longevity. Now I need to take a moment again to thank Jack. Thank you again, dude. So very, very, very much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone, episode 132, done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that We need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.